Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Rafay Baloch. Rafay is a lead security researcher at Cyber Citadel. He's also the top cybersecurity person to follow on Twitter, according to the Reflectors 2021 Top 21 list. Rafay, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Pleasure, pleasure. It's on all mine, sir. Awesome. Well, hey, Rafay, congrats on being the top person, the top cybersecurity person to follow. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm very happy about this. And I've been into this field for more than 12 years now. It's uh, good to see uh, some appreciation coming from, you know, all different corners. Oh, that's, that is so, so true. It's, it's good when the work that you're doing is recognized. And that's actually a nice bridge into the first question that I wanted to ask you. Rafay, share your background with our audience. Well, I'm a cybersecurity professional, a researcher, an author, a public speaker, and a pianist. And I don't know if that's that's the right order. I became notorious or well-known because of uh, the security vulnerabilities I found for uh, many companies, many software, uh, many operating systems, Android, which uh, affected um, half a billion users. And my country, I've been... Uh, raising my voice against uh, some critical and crucial cyber issues in Pakistan. Okay. And so, Rafay, when you said you had found some bugs, was this as a part of a bug bounty program? So Android did not have a bug bounty program back then. It was uh, part of uh, a responsible disclosure program, which was uh, handled by Rapid7, Todd Beardley. And uh, I have been working with him for uh, from early 2014, when I found my first bug in Android um, browser. And I actually, what happened was it was in Android stock browser. And I reported the vulnerability to the Google and the Google rejected that vulnerability. They said that it's not a vulnerability. The, the vulnerability was a same origin policy bypass. Same origin policy is one of the most important security policy that exists in our browser that separates you know content in one browser tab uh, from another browser tab. And that is very critical to the privacy and security of the users. So Google rejected that vulnerability and I posted that vulnerability because I thought that the vulnerability is uh, genuine and it can have a devastating impact upon the users. Um, so Todd Beersley from Rapid7, he found a blog and he posted about the vulnerability on his website. And that's where the journey started. And then okay. and then uh, Google came in. The Google said, okay, you know, we recognize our mistake. And of course, it was uh, something that we had overlooked. And there was a lot of... Uh, pressure from the community to fix that vulnerability and that's where everything started and then you know i had you know found a couple of other vulnerabilities affecting android stock browsers and other browsers in 2016 i had presented uh, my research on black hat subsequently i found security issues in 2017 2018 just recently in 2020 where i found you know security issues such as address bar spoofing vulnerability in dozens of browsers in both ios and android and it was part of my dissertation and thesis for the masters that I was doing. Okay. So Rafay, I also want to ask you to touch on 
what you mentioned as far as how the things going on in your home country of Pakistan. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about what has you concerned and what are you trying to change? Absolutely. Because uh, the digitization wave, you know, that has came due to the COVID because it's the, it's the COVID that has, uh, it's the pandemic that has led to this digitization, not your CIO, not your CTO. And we are connecting a lot of these uh, you know, computer systems, you know, we are giving it connectivity, you know, we are connecting it to the network. And that's what's been happening in my country and which has been particularly concerning because of the fact that, you know, there have been, you know, countries like uh, Singapore, UAE and, you know, US, UK, all have gone through, you know, this digitization, you know, a transition from, you know, the paper model to, let's say, an e-governance e-government model or uh, e-governance model. And what is concerning here is the fact that we are not learning from the mistakes that these countries have done while they have connected their systems online, which has led to breaches of millions and millions of, uh, you know, their citizens and the users, you know, whose data is exposed online. And then obviously that data is used to target these individuals. So that is uh, one of the issues that I've been raising that, you know, we should go for digitization, of course, and I love digitization, but we should make sure that the cybersecurity is is not undermined in the process. Pakistan is uh, is, is a country where you know there is no cybersecurity strategy, there is no cybersecurity policy in place, there are no cybersecurity, there is no dedicated organization that deals with cybersecurity. Uh, much of the market is uh, you know unregulated. The regulator doesn't jump in because you know think about this. You know manufacturers will only implement security if the consumer would demand it or the regulator would enforce it. So the manufacturer, so the consumer won't demand security because one, they are not security aware. That is another you know, problem in my country is the fact that the security awareness, you know, among the students and among the youth is, and you know, among any um, group of people is, uh, is close to nil. So they won't, of course, demand security and the manufacturers will come up with cheaper products that would undermine their security unless and until the regulator comes in and jumps in and enforces security. So Rafay, you you've touched on quite a bit. The one thing that I was thinking of as I was listening to you is um, the country of Estonia. And it to me, honestly, and this is just my personal opinion, it is amazing that more countries have not followed Estonia in the way they approach digital infrastructure and then cybersecurity, right? So for those in the audience that may not be familiar with Estonia, Estonia is a country in Europe, Baltic state, if I'm not mistaken. And their government, probably about 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, decided that they were going to take everything digital. So your passports, your government documents, anything that was paper, they decided at the national level, they were going to make it digital. So no more analog, anything, um, no more paper. It was all digital. And while doing that, they also looked at cybersecurity because of course, if you're going to make the records of millions of citizens digital, you have to protect it. And so cybersecurity was baked into their plan to take everything digital. And again, I don't know why more countries don't follow the lead of Estonia or why they aren't benchmarking the best practices of that entire country. Very rightly put, but the realization actually came after there were a series of cyber attacks, uh, which probably took place in 2000, 
seven or eight whereby like uh, their government websites and you know pretty much a major part of their infrastructure was taken down through a ddos attack that was then at some point of time attributed to russia and that's that's where the realization you know comes in pakistan um, so far has not faced a cyber sabotage or a cyber attack of this kind uh, there have been certain attacks on public and private infrastructure and most of which have been buried under the carpet so of course the realization is not there and the realization in the case of estonia came after they were hit with a series of uh, these cyber attacks okay well rafay thank you for the clarification on that and you know certainly you would hope that at a national level it wouldn't take you know a ddos attack or you know, a, a series of, you know, security attacks to make you do the right thing or make you follow best practices. But certainly, you know, Estonia today serves as an example of, you know, a country that, you know, made the decision to digitize everything and then has has certainly made, you know, the necessary efforts to um, protect that data. Of course, of course, you're very right about that. All right. Well, Rafay, so you... For um, for those in our audience that you know are interested in where you are physically sitting, you are currently in London. You are a you are the lead researcher, security researcher there for Cyber Citadel. What has you most excited about your daily work? So security is no longer a technology or a business problem. You know, it's uh, also a health and safety problem. And you know, as a security professional or as a cybersecurity expert these days, your job is not to protect. Uh, not only to protect the IT systems, but it is more to protect the society. And I believe that mission for me is quite compelling. And what is particularly exciting and interesting about cybersecurity is the fact that it's a hard problem. And, you know, there are challenges, you know, there are new challenges every day. The defenders keep getting smarter and so is the attacker. But of course, the attacker is at the edge edge because the attacker has infinite amount of time to come up with a new attack and whereas obviously defenders have limited time, attackers, uh, you know, have to be right one time, whereas uh, the defenders have to be right every time. So there's just so much at, at stake. And I find, you know, the mission pretty compelling. And, you know, I find this field pretty fascinating. Oh, that's great. And so, Rafay, that's actually a great segue into this next question. And, you know, what are you seeing as the you know biggest security threats from an industry standpoint? So most of the threats are coming from people, people working in a certain way, people making mistakes. And 2020 was a bad year in terms of security. And it doesn't matter if you're working in education sector, automobile sector, healthcare sector, charity sectors, all sectors have been at the receiving end of uh, the cyber attacks. And especially, you know, when you talk about cyber attacks uh, on sectors like healthcare sector, they can prove to be pretty fat fatal. And we have witnessed in 2020 and 2021, we have witnessed several attacks on hospitals, on COVID vaccination centers. And think about this, you know, a cyber attack on a hospital, you know, attacker perhaps using ransomware to lock down their computer and then demanding payments. That is something that can cause, you know, a life and death urgency situation. You know, uh, the surgeries can get delayed. For example, what happened when uh, Bonacry attacked the NHS uh, system here in, in the United Kingdom. And then, you know, you have this healthcare data, which is pretty accurate and, you know, it is uh, pretty accurate and uh, pretty comprehensive and it gives attacker a great edge, you know, when they were trying to blackmail the victims and extort money. And think about this, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, 
suffering from a disease that they do not wish to disclose. The attacker gets hold of it and the attacker says, hey, um, I'm going to disclose your disease to, let's say, you know, your your co-workers, or I, I'm going to make it public. Pay me money. Otherwise, I'm going to make this data public. Now, that is where some of the scariest attacks come into play. And one of the things that pandemic has brought us is primarily the fact that, you know, more and more organizations have, you know, learned to adopt remote work practices and, you know, I'm happy that there are upsides from this pandemic because now organizations know how to remotely work and how remote work really works. However, of course, it has, as I said, it has brought um, security issues, issues like business email compromise and issues around the increasing number of cell phones that are you know, used to connect to remote enterprises. So users on you know, cell phones are more susceptible to phishing attacks than desktop computers because of the fact that users carry cell phones everywhere and they're more active and they're that therefore more likely to read emails, whereas desktop computers only read emails once you know they access their computers. And of course, remote work has introduced other new kinds of threats, threats that we were not facing, you know, uh, pre-pandemic era. For example, threats coming from naive family members, threats coming from visitors, threats coming from third-party applications uh, that are sitting in there and leaking your data. That's uh, you know a user, an employee who's remotely working and is you know likely traveling across different cities and perhaps, you know, um, across different countries has is more susceptible to having, you know, their cell phones lost or stolen. And of course, remote wiping doesn't really work, you know, in the real world. And, you know, we have threat from employees, you know, who are sitting at home, printing sensitive documents, and then not shredding them. Threats from employees, you know, who leave, who leave the company and they're and not returning back the cell phone. So there are like several new kinds of threats that we are dealing with here that we haven't haven't been dealing in, in the past. And you know, that that is that is the current trend that I'm witnessing. And of course remote work is something that is going to be there, you know, for foreseeable future. Oh. And so are the threats. Absolutely. So Rafay, man. I could talk to you for hours about a lot of what you just mentioned, but I'll highlight two things. One is, you know, obviously we're we're coming out of the pandemic here in the states. You know, the the vaccines are you know becoming more readily available by the day. But I remember last year, as the pandemic was you know just starting to really take effect, if you will, data breaches that were happening around the COVID vaccine trials and. Yeah. I was really surprised that hackers and threat actors were going after something that was going to help the global population. And later in the year, you had a couple of instances where here in the States, there was a, a mental health provider. And I think over in Finland, there was a, a mental health provider um, who both had data breaches. And so, you know, the point that you were making earlier about, you know, your your personal information, your personal medical history being put out there, those threat actors actually went back to the victims and told them, hey, especially in Finland, if you don't pay or if someone doesn't pay, we're going to release your mental health records. Rafay, how how embarrassing, how vulnerable does that person feel for having their mental health records blasted out on the dark web? Of course, uh, that, is, that, is, that is pretty concerning. And that is something that, you know, it's not like, you know, your password or your security question that you can change, you know, there's something that you can't change. It is something that will stay with you until, you know, perhaps you're dead, right? So that is that is something that, 
you know, of course, it's pretty concerning because if an attacker gets hold of your password, they can say, okay, you know, I know your previous password, so what? I know your previous, let's say, security answer, so what? But what if, you know, I know that you have been di- diagnosed with a certain mental health disease, you know, five years back, and that is something that will haunt the victim through the rest of uh, his or her life? Absolutely. That's pretty concerning. No, that's 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 very concerning. And especially in Pakistan, you know, it's it's pretty concerning for me in Pakistan because we do not have any computer emergency response team at the national level and we do not have it at a sectoral level as well. And you know, more and more hospitals are going paperless and more and more records are being put online. So that is pretty much pretty concerning because there is no regulator that is willing to jump in and give guidelines or baselines to uh, the healthcare sector to protect their, the citizens' data. There's, there is absolutely no data protection law that would mandate hospitals to take educate due diligence and due care you know, when handling records. And if they should be transparent about revealing to the victims of a data breach that their data has been breached, Right. Yeah, Rafay, it's it's very distressing to say the least. Let me ask you this: What advice would you give to youngsters who might be considering cybersecurity as a profession? So most of so one of the most prevalent skills that are found in uh, successful cybersecurity professionals is the fact they are they're curious. They're curious about baking into systems. They're curious about uh, the challenges. They are they're passionate about what they do and they have critical thinking. My advice to someone who's pursuing the career in cybersecurity would be to basically surround yourself with the right people and other like-minded individuals. You know, it's it's the, it's a community that is that is very important. Always have you know right mentors because having right mentors is 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 very important because there is a lot of uh, misleading advices. There are lots of misleading advices when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, you know, think about this. When you go to Amazon, if you search for the keyword security books, right, it would return you like more than. 50, 60,000 security books, you know, that are related <laughs> right. to security. And, and if you could like read one book a week, it would take you like around 1200 years to read all of them. Right? <laughs> With, and, and 1200 years later, you know, none of that knowledge will be of use to anyone, right. not to you and not to anyone in case if you exist. So again, it is very important that when you're starting, you know, when somebody's starting, decide what you want to specialize, you know, what is the area you want to specialize in? You want to go into pen testing, right? Teaming, glue teaming, what do you like to do, right? You want to go into governance and then, you know, specialize and, you know, focus all of your research, you know, there. It is very important that one should obtain the fundamentals of, uh, networking and you know programming and this is something that i advise to youngsters that you should understand how the internet works you know how tcp ip works and how applications are built and i recommend you know people you know learning fundamental concepts of a programming language because if you look if you learn fundamentals of a programming language you can pretty much code in any programming language and python has been you know hackers favorite language you know you know since since quite some time okay so yeah that's 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 pretty much it okay well rafay i think that is um a great, I think that is wonderful advice for a young person that's listening. So the thing that I heard you say initially is, you know, find a concentration or a niche within cybersecurity. And, you know, there's a variety of career paths or tracks that you can go down. You mentioned pen testing, you know, blue team, red team. You know, I would also add, you know, for our non-technical listeners, cybersecurity needs project managers. They need people in marketing, right? So just to add, you know, to what Rafay was saying, there there is a need for these different skill sets under the cybersecurity umbrella. Um, but I think the thing that was most important 
was surround yourself with the right people, right? Find mentors and advocates that will help steer you in the right direction. It's amazing when you think of the number of jobs that are out there. LinkedIn is a great platform. And what platform like LinkedIn allows for is for me to have connected with Rafay and Rafay and I are now talking to each other. And so we are now friends. We're now connected on LinkedIn. And so if there is someone who has a question coming out of this podcast, for instance, right? You, you now have an opportunity to be able to connect with one of the top cybersecurity researchers in the world in Rafay. And that's the beauty of LinkedIn. That's the beauty of these podcasts. We do these so that you're made aware of all of the wonderful people that are in security and the great things that they're doing. So Rafay, again, thank you for sharing that. And um, I just wanted to you know, highlight some of those things yeah. for the audience. And, and just to add, you, know, you make an interesting point. You make a very interesting point about uh, the need of project managers in security. And one of the most demanding skills these days, I must say, is uh, the fact that we need more and more people who can bridge the gap between the technical people and the senior management. So we need people who are able to convert the technical knowledge, you know, let's say, you know, convert a, a technical finding into a business language. And that is that is something that is pretty, pretty demanding, you know, these days. Because of course, when you go to senior management, when you go to the CEO, when you go to the board and you tell them we have got a SQL injection vulnerability in the website and and we are going to patch it, let's say within three to four days, they don't know what SQL injection is, right? <laughs> right, they don't, right. They, they don't know what SQL is. You need to convert that information into business language. Because this is the vulnerability. And by exploiting this, and this is the likelihood of uh, somebody, you know, sitting, you know, remotely sitting on anywhere in the internet to exploit that vulnerability. And this is the loss in terms of US dollar. This is a financial loss. And, you know, we have, we are going to pay X amount of money regularly fine if we don't patch this. So that's the policy to, let's say, patch all critical vulnerabilities in, let's say, 24 hours or 12 hours or whatever the risk appetite for an organization may be. Rafay, you just hit on something else that could be talked about for hours, but let's just summarize what you said, and it is so important. You have to be able to connect what your security findings are, you know, your, your logs, whatever you've come across. You have to be able to convey that to the leadership and the senior management of a company so that they understand it in dollars and cents. Because if you say, like Rafay just mentioned, oh, we have um, SQL injection attack, we have a DDoS attack. They don't necessarily understand what that means. But when you say the business is going to lose $3 million if we don't do X, Y, Z, that gets their attention. That they understand. Oh, we're going to lose $3 million if we don't give you the tools or the the budget to get this thing fixed. Okay, makes sense. Go go get it done. So again, Rafay, you're 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 hitting on all cylinders, and you're you're bringing up some really great points. Okay, well, Rafay, let's let's find out from you. You know, what are the current and future trends in security? So I've gone to great lengths uh, to discuss about uh, the current you know trends that are in uh, security, especially you know the cyber threats coming from people working remotely using a desktop computer or cell phones. Um, future tre- trends, you know, are pretty evident. In 2020, we had uh, you know we had this cybersecurity major breach, you know, revolving around 
supply chain, you know, which brought in a lot of issues related to supply chain to the limelight, you know, for instance, the solar winds breach, you know. Yes. So the center focus of, for the cyber attacks um, would be, will come from our global supply chains. That is one thing. The other thing is that we have gone through many technological revolutions. ICS, industrial control system revolution, is one of them, which is like connecting industrial control systems to the network. And we have been witnessing many cyber attacks revolving around ICS, starting from Stuxnet in 2010, you know, targeting Iranian centrifuging, centrifuges manipulating their spinning speed and, you know, to the recent attack on water treatment facility in Florida, whereby the attackers compromised uh, the water treatment facility and they changed the chemical levels, specifically the, you know, sodium hydroxide and hence, you know, poisoning the water, right? So obviously now the cyber attacks, specifically due to ISIS evolution, you know, connecting giving industrial control systems connectivity, right? We are, you know, going to have uh, some real world cyber cyber target attacks. And then we have threats, you know, coming in from Internet of Things, right? So the next revolution after ICS revolution, after connecting industrial control systems to the network was, uh, you know, the IoT revolution, which is, you know, Internet of everything, you know, connecting everything to the internet, connecting your home appliances to the internet, connecting your dishwasher, your, your TV, you know, and everything to the internet. And one of the things that is driving the growth of IoT is the fact that the demand is increasing. Uh, there is increase in, you know, growth of uh, cheap and low cost wireless sensors. The prices of the chips have, you know, gone gone down and, and more and more uh, manufacturers are making, you know, their devices smart. Now, this is an active area because IoT, a lot of these devices, you know, manufacturers don't put in security by default. And the users, we cannot rely upon users because users, you know, have been making mistakes and they are going to make mistakes, of course. And and therefore, you know, this is an, an area where regulators would come in and would jump in because, you know, with uh, with the 5G, you know, that is, this is going to go crazy and there would be all kinds of security, security issues related to privacy and security. So we talked about issues with uh, security, you know, manufacturers, you know, not being able to provide security by default in IoT devices. Uh, there are, there would be issues uh, revolving around privacy because now more and more of these uh, home appliances, you know, connecting to the internet would basically connect analytics data, you know, where the users are based, you know, what is the location of the users. And, and based upon that, they would basically make the business decisions to target user in to target users in a particular area, right? So privacy is also going to be a major problem with IoT. And the next, obviously, the revolution would be around artificial intelligence and machine learning. And one of the reasons why we have started to hear more and more of AI and machine learning is the fact that, you know, there has been a lot of reduction in cost of storage, you know, allowing users to store and, you know, process large data set because of the cheap computation power, you know, especially coming from graphic cards. There would be issues in future coming from attackers using machine learning to defeat our security systems. So issues with GAN, you know, generative adversarial networks, you know, whereby you have two machine learning algorithms constantly fighting with each other and improving each other. We have one machine learning system which generates a, a video, and then there we have another machine learning system which defeats the video and categorizes it as a fake video. And it gets better at both you know, cheating and detecting things. And what you have as a result of this type of networks is deep fake videos, deep fake images, and deep fake everything. And what I've not had in my career until now, which 
a lot of you know youngsters that are stepping into the field of cybersecurity would have is that they would be presented with an evidence which would look uh, absolutely convincing, yet it's not true because it would be manufactured. Um, and the utility of a deep fake, uh, utility of a gun is not only related to deep fake. You know, we have you know it expanding in more areas. For example, defeating the spam filters, defeating you know antivirus. We haven't seen um, attackers actively using this, but there has been a lot of uh, sound research that has been done in this area. So I'm expecting that this is something that we are going to face in future. And just to mention, there was um, in 2018, perhaps there were you know researchers basically that you know, demonstrated during, you know, a pen test that they are able to automatically inject or remove lung cancer, you know, into a patient's 3D CT scan. And the deep fake image was, that was created was so convincing that it basically was able to fool multiple radiologists and then, you know, the state-of-art lung cancer detection, you know, AI system itself. So that's 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 pretty much it, you know, from my side. Oh my gosh. That's okay. Future threats. <laughs> you... You have taught a master class, sir. There's there's so much. And I I will just say, you know, one of the things that stood out to me is um, you know, you mentioned how inexpensive storage is, right? So, you know, when it comes to artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, the ability to store data. There's a company who does data storage, and right now you can store, I think it's 25 terabytes of data for $650 a month. Let's just say that that is a lot of storage for not a lot of money. Yep. And of course, as we know, the cost of storage, the cost of technology, you know, it it goes down incrementally over time. I had a conversation just a couple of days ago. Um, I was reminiscing with someone about, you know, when T1s first came out. Um, so you're talking, you know, one and a half megs, you know, of internet connection. That was, you know, $550 a month, right? So that was one and a half megs for $550. For $500 now, you can get a gig of fiber installed at your business. If you're in a data center, you can get a gig of fiber for three or $400 a month. And this is here in the U.S. And of course, it would be, you know, the um, the equivalent, you know, wherever you're listening. But just to just to say again that, you know, just from a storage standpoint, you know, the ability to store data, whether it's real or not, is it's 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 not that hard to do, and it doesn't cost that much. Yes, of course. And if you look at uh, these. Um virtualization platforms, uh, you know, AWS and Azure and Google having their own virtualization platform, it is it is going to be an, an arms race, you know, it is, it is indeed an arms race in terms of the fact that who is going to come up with uh, the most cheapest storage and, and processing solution. Oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And Rafay, we haven't even touched on quantum computing, you know, which that, you know, that's a, a whole nother conversation, yep. you know, blockchain. I mean, there's, there's just so much to wrap your mind around and it's, it's comforting to know that we have folks like yourself, you know, in the field of security that are doing the great work and 
helping make sure that we are aware not only of the work that's being done, but also of the ramifications of the work that's being done. So um, again, just you know, thank you for everything that you're doing and you know, for your willingness to share your knowledge. So Rafay, let's get to know you a little better. And I'm gonna ask you to tell us what is your favorite musician or band? Though I'm a, a tech geek and I try to keep myself updated with uh, you know the current technological trends, but you know when it comes to music, I'm I'm old school. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like uh, Indian Pakistani uh, classical music. For Kavali, I like uh, legendary Nusrat Ali Khan, uh, who's very popular in uh, sub you know subcontinent region and this region, South South Asia region, uh, because he used to perform you know in traditional style with uh, tradi- traditional instrumentation. And there are ghazals, you know, for which you know I I love. Uh, Ghulam Ali. Um, yeah, and then, and, and, you know, that's that, that's that's pretty much it, you know. In terms of music composer, you know, we have uh, Yanni, we have ARMR, you know, very respectable names, you know, um, in the in the industry, you know. Okay, well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And what about a favorite hobby? So reading books is, uh, you know, one of my most favorite hobbies. That is something that I, use, that I do every day. And of course, to read all security books, you know, you need 1200 years. I don't have 1200 years, but a lot of times, you know, what I try to do is I try to read just their summaries, you know, when I'm commuting, I listen to audiobooks, And that is, this is one advice for, for youngsters, you know, who are willing to establish their career in uh, cybersecurity is that while they're commuting, there's just, there are just so many great podcasts like yours, you know, that they should listen, listen to, you know, instead of, you know, listening to music. And, you know, I, I love playing piano. Uh, I've been playing piano since, uh, I was I was 11, uh, though I couldn't do it consistently. But yeah, in my spare time, I play piano, I play guitar, and I even know how to play harmonium, which is uh, more of Indian classical uh, stuff, you know. Okay. A very well-rounded person. That is another example for our audience. You have your your main passion, but when you step away from your passion, it's good to have other things that can keep your interest, whether it's piano, reading books, uh, the guitar, you know, those are those are the things that you know will help you again be very well-rounded, like our friend Rafay. And so, Rafay, what is your favorite place to go on vacation? Oh, that's 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 a, that's a tough one. Though the travel is restricted, but uh, I've been to around eleven or twelve countries. Okay, I'm I'm yet to visit Europe. Though I'm planning to go July, but for now, uh, Turkey has been, you know one of my most favorite vacation place and it's 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 pretty historical and very refreshing okay great well thank you for for sharing that what teacher or instructor has had the most impact on you so uh, the motivation i faced in life you know has perhaps been one of my biggest teachers uh, so i managed to find some motivation in my uh, demotivation and it goes back to my high school and in my, my early college days uh, when uh, I was not a very bright student when it comes to grades and um, I had failed in many subjects and, and specifically you know they were not related to computers and they were not related to my field of interest and um, you know one of the things that people used to tell me and especially my teachers at that time and my fellow students and people I used to meet because as I said it's very important for you to surround yourself with like-minded people and positive people you know that motivate you but for the for some reason I had surrounded myself with you know a lot of uh, people that used to demotivate me and they used to tell me that I'm not going to get a job because I have a low CGPA right I have a low I have got low grades I've not got good grades you know and yet in 2012 I hacked into PayPal I found 
a code execution vulnerability. I hacked into PayPal and uh, they had approached me for a role, you know, in cybersecurity, to which I had fused because I was doing my bachelor's at that, at that time. In 2014, you know, when uh, I did my research on Android, check marks listed me among, you know, five ethical hackers uh, of the world and SC Magazine listed me among, you know, top 15 most successful ethical hackers. And that was covered in uh, local newspapers, which was found eventually by the rector of uh, the university. And they called me and they awarded me with uh, the best student of the year award. And, uh, and and it was the first time in the history that my university, somebody with, you know, 2.5 uh, you know, GPA, which with, you know, four being the maximum that one can attain, was awarded as, uh, you know, best student of the year, you know, and and they had also given me a cash prize, which obviously, you know, recovered the amount that I had paid, you know, for all the course retakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, with, with that being said, there have been people that have played a very, a, a great role in my life, you know, in uplifting me. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to one of my teachers, uh, you know, Sir, Sir Asim, you know, uh, Sir Mahmoud Al-Hassan, you know, uh, these people at that time, you know, they had played a, uh, a great role in my life and they had they had uplifted me and i i came to know that failed true failure is not trying something and being weak in a subject doesn't mean that you know you are going to fail in your life and being strong being bright in class is absolutely wonderful but it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful in your career if you don't buy the right skill set and throughout my life uh, i had focused on attaining skill set instead of attaining or acquiring or striving for good grades and you know, recently, I had I had done a master's in uh, in cybersecurity uh, from a university in Islamabad, that is the capital of Pakistan, and I got like uh, a distinction. And still, you know, I tell people that grades are not important. It is a skill set that you need to be successful in today's world. Rafay, when this episode comes out, it's going to be amazing for all of the things that you've said, but certainly in that last point, ladies and gentlemen, it is not the one who gets the best grades. There's nothing wrong with good grades. There's nothing wrong with being on the honor roll or being on the dean's list or being the top academic at your school or your institution. But the most important thing in life is going to be, again, the people that you surround yourself with and the skill set that you master. And here it is, you're hearing from Rafay. Because he's mastered a skill set, he is world-renowned. And as fate would have it, the people that said that he wouldn't be able to do much or wouldn't attain to much are now sitting back looking probably pretty foolish because not only has he done well for himself at, you know, a institutional level, and he's gone beyond that to national acclaim, but also he is world renowned for his skill set. You have to focus on that. All right. Rafay, as usual, these times go by way too quickly. Um, but I do want to ask you this last question. What advice would you give 18-year-old Rafay? You, you've got it already, you know, uh, not to focus on <laughs> grades, but the skill set. Not to listen to people who say that you're going to fail because it's it's fine to fail. It's all right to fail. There's no difference between, there, there's a difference between failing and being a failure, you know. They are separate things. Fear is normal and it's, it's it's a part of journey and just take it part of journey and embrace it because the only failure is is not taking risks you know people are afraid of taking risk but they should know the fact that not taking a risk is is, is also risk and in in retrospection you know in retrospect people who have taken risk you know are the ones you know let 
that regret less, you know, than the people, you know, who are not taking the risk. Hardships in life, they are very powerful only if they are harnessed the right way and they can transform lives. Absolutely. I won't add another word to what was just said. Um, the only thing I will say is, Rafay, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the podcast. It is an honor to now know you, to call Likewise. you a friend. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you or how should they best reach out to you? Twitter uh, is one way. I'm pretty active on Twitter these days. Uh, Twitter.com slash Rafi Baloch is my uh, Twitter handle. I'm, uh, I can be reached at uh, my email address, which is uh, R-A-A-Y-B-A-L-O-C-H, Rafi Baloch, at the rate of gmail.com. I can also be reached at uh, my Facebook uh, page, uh, which is uh, facebook.com slash Rafi Baloch official. So both of my Twitter and Facebook accounts uh, are verified. So you're, you see a blue tick. So you know that, that you are communicating with the right person. Okay. Yes. And, and, and verification is very important. Well, Rafay, again, thank you so much. Um, it's been an honor to share this time with you. And Tech and Main presents family as always. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast. Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, and thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.